0: Tonight is the the last message in the series I love my church. And I just want you to know, just putting my cards on the table. I do love my church. It's not just a saying for me. It's legit. And my my heart um and cuz people have asked me this, my heart is to pastor this church for the rest of my life. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to do anything else. I just want to I want to be here. I'm having I'm having a lot of fun doing something I never thought I would do again. But because I want to do this forever, okay, and I'm not as young as I used to be, I'm I'm pushing a half a century. I'm not there yet, but I'm pushing it. Um, I've got to pace myself a little bit. And I didn't realize till not too long ago that I've preached about 75 weeks in a row. And I... I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. A famous theologian said that. So um, I realized I needed a break and I wanted to make sure that if I got a break, that I brought somebody to this stage that added value and they were also the real deal. Um, Because not just anybody is going to be able to speak on this stage. If If they come on this stage, it's because I know that God's hand is on their life and I believe in them as an individual, and the first person I personally wanted to speak was a friend of mine named Ricky Ortiz. And let me tell you, let me when I say he's a friend, you you know what it's like when when everything's going well that you've got friends, but then when all hell breaks loose and glass is flying and the smoke is and when all that clears, the people standing with net with you, those are your friends. Those are your friends. And Ricky, just to let you kind of know what kind of friend he is. Ricky is the friend that drove me to the airport when I flew to Arizona for treatment. And 30 days later, he was at the airport waiting on me to drive me home. So that's the kind of friend that that Ricky is. And um, he's doing something really cool right now. I'm going to let him tell you about that. But one of the things that we're going to do here at Second Chance is anytime that we have a guest speaker... We're gonna show them honor. We're gonna show them appreciation. We're gonna let them know that we're super thankful for them. So I want you to put your hands together and help me give a second chance welcome to my friend, Ricky Ortiz.
1: seriously, with an introduction like that, I feel like I should just pray and then we can call it a night. Like, it's so good. Uh, man, right off the bat, I just want to say thank you for uh, allowing me to be here. And if you came from another place uh, hoping to hear or see Pastor P preach, or if you're watching online and wanted to hear or see Pastor P preach, um, I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm here, and uh, I guess the good news is that gives you a reason to either come back next week or uh, watch again next week. And so it's great to be with you guys today. I've had a blast uh, being here and, and preaching and, and spending time with Second Chance. Uh, as, as Perry mentioned, my name is Ricky. Um, my wife, Chris, and I lead a brand new church on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, uh, a church called Meta Church, M-E-T-A. Uh, and Meta sounds cool, but Meta is also like something substantive. It means something. It's a Greek word for change and transformation. And so we've been up there for a couple years. Uh, It's where I'm from. My wife is from Seattle. Uh, We have a beautiful daughter. Yeah, here they are, Uh, right here. Uh, Gia is her name. She just turned eight years old this past week. Uh, Eight years old, and she's like going on 18. Uh, I mean, literally in the last like three weeks, her whole kind of world has changed. Like it's like, hey, Gia, will you put on your socks? Ugh. Like, Gia, will you like go feed the dog? Oh, like every time I'm like, where did this come from? What happened? And so if you've got experience, if you've got advice, please send it my way. Um, but this is our family. This is our neighborhood uh, taking a photo in the middle of the street with oncoming traffic in the rain, uh, because that's what you got to do for the gram. That's what you got to do for Instagram nowadays. You see, this picture is going to get a lot of likes, right? Like it's got good scenery. It's got risk. And then the most important quality, it's got beautiful people. And so this is the best thing. So this is my family. This is my tribe. Uh, we love what we get to do. And um, as I mentioned, we, we live in New York City. Uh, this is actually our second stint uh, as a family in New York. We've actually uh, lived here in Anderson for two and a half years. And we moved from Manhattan, from New York City, to Anderson. Now, I don't know if you know this, but New York City and Anderson are just like a little bit different, <laughs> like, like just a little bit. There's just a, you know, we went, we lived in this place where people were like hurried and rushed and busy and mean. And we came here and people were calm and tranquil and nice. Like, and it threw me off. I didn't know what to do with nice people because I was so New York. Like I just was skeptical. I was like, not something ain't right about this. And we, we moved down here. And um, if you've ever been to New York, then you've probably observed or you witnessed this, but everyone, and I mean, everyone has headphones on. And they've got their headphones in, their Beats by Dre or you know whatever, and they, they all have it, unless you're rich. If you're rich, you got AirPods. And so if you're rich, you got the AirPods in, but everyone has, it, and this is what they look like. They had their headphones in, and they're storming from one place to the next, just like that, on the go, on mission, trying to get to where they need to be. So when I moved down here, that's how I was. And so I went to this Target, actually right over here one day, and I had my headphones in, I did my shopping, got my stuff, went to check out, put my stuff on the little conveyor belt, and the lady that was ringing me out, she was, you know, scanning each item, and then I started to notice like something a little bit odd or, or maybe off with her, and I noticed that she kind of kept like doing like this, and I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I was like, is she having a seizure? Like, is something like, is something like wrong? And then she just stopped scanning my items. I said, like, this is a medical emergency. Like, we got a problem here. Someone needs to go. So I, I pull out my earbuds and I'm like, hey, are you okay? And she's like, oh, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm like, how am I doing? I don't talk to strangers. Didn't your mom ever tell you not to talk to strangers? Like, who are you? I don't know you. Why would I have a conversation with you? But I was like, uh, I'm good. She's like, did you find everything you're looking for? Like, yeah, that's why I'm checking out. Like, why would I check out if I didn't find everything I was looking for? Like, I just didn't get it. And she was probably freaked out. She's like, who is this guy? Like, he's intense. And then, you know, a few days after we moved here, uh, we lived off of 81, and so we were at the Chick-fil-A. God bless Chick-fil-A uh, on 81. And for what it's worth, Chick-fil-A over Popeye's, like that's my opinion and my vote. But we were at Chick-fil-A, and we were sat down in a booth having a nice little family dinner or whatever. And this sweet lady, she was an older lady. Um, and if you're here, God bless you. I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. Um, but, but she was so sweet, and she came by the table in her sweet little southern accent. And she's like, how y'all doing? I kind of like look up. I'm like, what she want? Uh, I'm like, we're good? And she's like, can I refresh your drink? I'm like, oh, no, 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 uh-uh. Like something ain't right about that. Like, you're not taking my drink anyway. Like, you're gonna lace it with something. Like, I'm not gonna be able to get home. Like, like, something is not right. No one is refreshing anything around here. And I was like, and then it, even if she had like, even if she wasn't gonna lace it, my suspicion was that she was gonna take my drink refill it, and then come back and try to sell me a ROP CD or something. Cause like, that's what happens in New York. You ask for directions, someone's trying to sell you something immediately. And so I was like, no, I'm good. But here's what I said, it's so bad. I said, nah, it's good. My legs work. I'll get up and get a drink myself. And my wife, across the booth, like slithered down, immediately swung her hand and then whacked me and then looked at the lady and said, miss, I'm so sorry. I apologize from him. He's from New York. And like, just like kind of like apologized on my behalf. I mean, I was so like kind of, it was so different. And one of the, one kind of final example, I guess, when, when we moved down here, I kept hearing this word or term that maybe I never heard in this context. And so people were like, oh, where, where'd you move from? I'm like, oh, New York. And they're like, oh, you're a Yankee. And if you know me, like I love sports. I'm Yankees, Knicks and Giants, With well, the Giants just got destroyed by the Bills and it's not good for them. But the Yankees, the Yankees are looking good. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm a Yankee, I'm all in. I love the Yankees. People like look at me a little weird. And then I'd hear it again, like, oh, you're a Yankee. And I'm like, yeah, I love the Yankees. Who do you like, the Braves? And they were like, 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 they were just like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I kept hearing this, and I, and I thought, you know what? Like, I always wear, like, a Yankees-fitted cap. And so it just hit me. It dawned on me. It's like, oh, I know what it is. They must think that I play for the Yankees. They must think that I am actually a baseball player that plays for the New York Yankees. And they're just, like, starstruck. You know, they just believe, in, like, like, wow, a New York Yankee lives in Anderson, And it just couldn't make sense. What I didn't realize was that Yankee is a term for someone who's from the Northeast. (laughs) I had no idea. I had no clue. I just thought the Yankees were a baseball team and that they're they're best in history, which is why everyone loves them or hates them. But that's another story. But I just thought that was the case. And, and, And you know, the reason I share that is because I think as we've kind of worked through this, I Love My Church series, I think there's some of us, if not all of us, have felt at one point or another, kind of a same way or a similar feeling where we say, yeah, I love my church. And, 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 and we're like, woo, I'm all in, I love this place. But when you really think about it, it's like, well, well what does that actually mean? You know, like, yeah, I, I love my church. I mean, how could you not love second chance Church? You got a free t-shirt, right? I mean, it's nice, it's comfy. You could go to sleep in that shirt. You could wear it to bed. You could wake up and keep it on and no one would even know. It's nice, it's comfortable, it looks good. And then it's not just the church. I mean, you know, I love my church, right? We have this beautiful building. Like it, th- this facility is great. We got the kids' space coming in a couple doors down. I mean, me, look, I love this. I'm like looking at these lights. I'm still a little New York. And I'm like, can I take these lights and put them in my carry-on without anybody knowing about it? Like, can I take these back to my church back in New York? Like, I love my church. Like, yes, and, and listen, it's South Carolina. And, and I love this church because man, in South Carolina, these summers, you need that air conditioning. And, and if there's one thing I know about Perry, everything else could be broken, but the AC is gonna be working in the church. Can I get an amen? And like, listen, I love my church and I love the AC. And then of course you can't forget, right? We love Pastor P's sermons, like the messages. Like I love my church. Like does anyone else love the sermons? Yes, but me too, me too. Listen, we've been friends for like five or six years or something like that. And, and even before then, I would watch his sermons every single week when I lived in Portland, Oregon. And so I, I love the sermons. But I think some of us get caught up in this, like, I, I love this. And, and, and if we're honest, is, can we be honest? Is it okay? Is it Okay, good. Thank you for like the three people who are in on being honest. Okay, the rest of you, we'll get to that. Um, but let's be honest for just a moment because if you really think about it, you have to ask like, is this, do you really love those things? I mean, like, yes, we, we, we like them, but love, that's kind of a strong word. And, 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 and it's like, is that what, what I really love? Like, yes, I love the church, but that shirt is just a few chicken sandwiches from not being able to fit anymore. And, and that shirt at some point is gonna be retired or that shirt at some point is gonna tear. And so I like it a lot, but do I love that? And the building, yes, I, 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 I like it. And, and, and the AC, man, it's great. But listen, do I, do I really wanna wear a, a sweater to church in the summer? <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's cold. I see people back here, it's like an airplane. You come in, you ask asking the ushers for blankets. And you're asking them, like, can I get something to warm up? Because it's a little bit cold in here. So I like it. And even the messages, we like them a lot. But the best of us with the best memory and the best intention can manage to forget what was preached on or preached about three or four weeks ago. And so, you know, we say I love my church, but it's kind of like me being like, yeah, I'm a Yankee. I'm all in and not really understanding exactly what's being talked about. And listen, if that's you, or if you felt that way, or if, you're kind of, if that's kind of you know, bringing or sparking some curiosity, let me say two things. One, it's okay. It's okay, it's not that you know, someone is belittling you, or it's not that I'm up here telling you, you got it wrong, or you don't understand. Two, here's why it's okay, because what we love about the church is so much better than all of those things. What we love about the church is so much more meaningful. So much, It's better than buildings, it's better than lights, it's better than bands, it's better than sermons, it's better than t-shirts. What Jesus talked about when he introduced this concept of the church, when he talked about the church is so much better. And the reason why it's better is because when he talked about the church, he was talking about you. He was talking about you and the person next to you. He was talking about the person in front of you. He was talking about the person behind you. When Jesus talked about the church, he was talking about, people. In fact, this is how Jesus prefaced it, or this is how Jesus introduced the concept in Matthew chapter 16 when he was talking to his friends, when he was talking to his disciples. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 15, says this, then Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my what? Church. Church. I will build my church. And notice this last phrase. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now let me tell you about a conversation that has never happened in the history of humanity. There's never been a conversation in the history of humanity where somebody was trying to overcome or overtake an enemy where one person suggested to another person that their weapon of choice, that their method or their means for attacking or subduing the enemy would involve gates. (laughs) There's never been a situation where someone said, we should take some gates, we should hold them, and then we should press them against our enemy and that will overwhelm the enemy and cause them to surrender. You know why? Because gates are not offensive. Gates are defensive. So when Jesus talked about the church, what he said is the church is not on the defensive. The church is the one on the offensive because the gates of hell will not prevail or conquer the church. You see, the church wasn't something that sat idle. The church was a movement, specifically a movement of people like you, a movement of people like me who come together and together we are unstoppable. Together we are impenetrable. Together we are incredible. Together we can do far more than what we could do on our own. This was the church Jesus talked about. A group of people from every race, from every creed, from every background, from every social economic status, from every part of the world who would be called together under the name of Jesus and brought together to do something meaningful that would transform the scope of human history. This is the church Jesus talked about. This is the church that Jesus loved. And this is the church that we get to be a part of. Can I get an amen? amen. That is the church. You see, when Jesus talked about the church, he was talking about you. It's so much better than a sermon. It's so much better than a lights or than a ministry or than a program. Now this is the part of the sermon though, where doubt and insecurity starts to creep in. Because when you start hearing messages or when you start hearing conversations around the fact that Jesus loves you, you start thinking about all the things you don't love about you. You start thinking about the mistakes you've made, the failures you've had, the shortcomings you've experienced, the sin you've fallen into, the traps you've been a part of. You start thinking about that decision you made a year ago, that decision you made last night, that relationship you abandoned, that child you neglected, that spouse you walked away from. You you start thinking about the things that, you know, the hurts and the pains that you've experienced and that you've had to try to navigate in your life and, and you start looking at those things. And yet you know what, and, and let's be honest, those things are, are, are the things that everyone knows about, but the things that really, really sting, the things that really, really hurt are the things that no one knows about. The things within us that we don't tell anyone the things within us that we spend the most of our lives running from and trying to suppress and trying to pretend or wish or pray away because we don't want anyone to know that part of my life. Some of us have moved cities. Some of us have moved states. Some of us have left everything to try to start all over again. We've left churches. We've left families. We've left places of employment, because of the shame and the guilt and the, and the frustration and the disappointment of the things that we've experienced. And we've just thought to ourselves or wished to ourselves, man, I could, if I could just go somewhere where no one knows who I am, or no one knows where that is, because I don't want to have to deal with that. Because listen, you feel like if someone knew about that, if the person sitting next to you knew about that decision you made, knew about the mistake that you fell into, knew about the pain that you caused or created, if that person knew about it, there's no way that person could love you. If you, Ricky, you're sitting there, Ricky, but if you just knew my past or if you knew my story, that I'm not good enough, I'm not skilled enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not spiritual enough. If you just knew, Ricky, there's no way that you or Pastor P could love me, let alone Jesus himself. And I'm here to tell you tonight, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. That is a lie from the mouth of Satan himself. There is nothing you could do, nothing that you've experienced, nothing that you've incited, nothing that you've created that can keep you or prevent you or block you from receiving the love of Jesus. There's nothing that you've experienced or navigated in your life that will prevent or cause Jesus to turn his back on you and say, you know what? I want that person in my church, but not that person. Nothing. And I'm gonna prove it to you tonight with three names. Three names, Peter, Thomas, and Mark. Peter, Thomas, and Mark. And we're going to start with this first name, Peter. Now, Peter, there's a whole lot that we could say about Peter. Of the three names I just shared, Peter is the one that's most familiar. Peter is the most well-known. Peter is the one that we kind of have a, a clear speak. Even if you didn't go to church, or even if you're not like way into this Jesus thing, or even if you're not familiar with the Bible or the scriptures, we know a lot about Peter, and for good reason because Peter was outspoken, Peter was impulsive, but he was also very cowardly. I mean, here's a guy who put his foot in his mouth at every opportunity. All he needed was an opportunity and then he would insert foot. That's the way Peter lived his life. In fact, on the night before, Jesus would be crucified. Jesus is spending time with his disciples, with his closest friends, and he's preparing them. He's letting them know, listen, my time has come. I'm going to be turned over into the hands of my betrayers and they're going, to ju- they're going to try me and they're going to crucify me. And Peter, seizing the opportunity, seeing it and seizing it, says, time to put my foot in my mouth. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to be with you till the end. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to be with- Wherever you go, I'm going to go. If you die, I'm dying with you. And Jesus Peter, I'll let you finish. And then looked at him and was like, bruh, that's the new Ricky version, bruh. Bruh, no, you're not. Before the sun rises, you are going to deny me, deny knowing me, denying having anything to do with me, not once, not twice, but three times. You ever known someone who will like raise their hand and say, man, I'm with you till the end. I'm gonna be there. And they're quick to put their foot in their mouth. You ever know anyone like that? Anyone have that kind of friend or that kind of relationship in your life where that person says, you can count on me. And then when you need them, they're nowhere to be found. She said, Peter, this is who you're going to be. And it's not even going to happen in 24 hours. It's going to happen in 12. Sure enough, Jesus would be arrested. He would be taken to be tried. And at his kind of proceeding or his little like trial, if you will, Peter was there amongst the crowd in the peripheral, observing and witnessing what was going on. And sure enough, one of the people in the crowd were told it was a young girl a maid possibly, or someone who was there, recognized Peter and she just asked him, say, hey, aren't you one of his friends? And Peter, I mean, immediately just shot it down. Like, nope, that's not me. Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. I don't even know the guy. I don't know him. And then it happened a second time. Again, he denies. And then by the third time, he got so enraged, so upset that he denied Jesus, said, I don't know the guy. And he fled the scene out of disbelief or fear that they would out him. Here's the guy that said, I'll be with you to the end, Jesus. Where you go, I go. If you're dying, I'm dying with you. And yet, all it took was a little girl to shake his confidence, to shake his commitment. And you know, it's really easy to point the finger at Peter. And it's really easy to to kind of 2,000 years later, throw stones and cast my judgment until I realize that I'm Peter, me, Ricky, I'm Peter, that I, as I shared a moment ago, can be outspoken and put my foot in my mouth, that I have been impulsive. And because I've been impulsive, it's rendered me unreliable, or dangerous even to the people that I love because I've made rash decisions without thinking about the consequences or how it would affect the people I care about. But you know, being outspoken, being impulsive, in my mind, I can kind of like work around that. I can forgive myself for those things. But the one that gets me is this, because I too have been a coward. In fact, it was only a handful of years ago where my life was falling apart where we were days away from meeting with a divorce attorney because things had imploded and exploded within my marriage. You see, for the better part of the year prior to this moment, I had kept concealed and hidden from my wife an addiction to pornography. And and I didn't just keep that part concealed, but I was also guilty of racking up thousands of dollars of credit card debt and concealing that as well. And I wish I could stand before you and tell you that one day it just became too much and I just had to come clean and, and share this, but, but I didn't come clean. I got caught. I got caught. And I wasn't just a coward in that I got caught. I was a coward in that the enti- for the entirety of that year, I had plenty of opportunity to confess to my wife what was going on. I had plenty of opportunity to share with a friend or with someone else This is where I'm at in my life. This is where things really are. Instead, I projected something else. In fact, my wife sensed that something was wrong. And so she would ask me and she would call me out. She said, like, something's not right. Like, we're not okay. Okay. You know, are you okay? Like you seem off, something's not right. And like a typical guy or like the, the, the thing that most of us would do is just kind of brush it off and say, nope, that's not me, I'm fine. You're projecting your issues onto me. Don't put that on me. I didn't do anything. I'm fine. You're the one messed up. I'm all good. Until the day I got caught and things spiraled out of control. And, and, and what I realized looking back is that I'm no different than Peter. But by the grace of Jesus, by the grace of God, Peter didn't stay that way. Peter didn't remain in this position. You see, within a week of denying Jesus, Jesus would come back to Peter and he would restore Peter and he would appoint Peter to become the leader of this thing we, you and I call the church. And he would commission Peter to go and do the unthinkable to break societal, cultural, and racist norms and take the gospel from a primarily and predominantly Jewish culture or a community to a non-Jewish Gentile culture and community. And today you and I are here because someone like Peter stepped into who God called him to be. You see, Peter went from being outspoken to being humble. For he went from being uh, impulsive to being calculated. And he went from being cowardly to courageous. Peter flipped the script not on his own accord but because someone like Jesus loved him and invited him to be a part of this thing called the church. And by the grace of God, I stand before you a changed person as well. A marriage that's been restored, a family that's thriving an identity and a security. Listen, I might fall, I might mess up. I'm susceptible to tripping over myself again and again and again, but because of the grace of Jesus in my life and because of the fact that Jesus never left me and the fact that Jesus never abandoned me and that Jesus called me back into the fold, even when I was pushing my way out, Jesus said, I love you. You are part of this thing that I died for, part of this thing that I resurrected for, and I want you to be a part of my church because I love you. If Jesus did it for me, then he can do it for you. And it wasn't just Peter. There's Thomas. Now, what's interesting about Thomas is that we actually don't know a whole lot about his life based on the scriptures. We, we know very little, but what we know actually has led us to give him kind of a moniker, a nickname, if you will. And I'm sure some of you, or if not many of you know the nickname, okay? If you know the nickname, count, on the count of three, you just kind of blurt it out. One, two, three. Doubting, Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. We've given him a label. But what's interesting is that I think actually a lot of us in this room can relate to Thomas. We can relate to Thomas because here's someone that we actually don't know that much about. And maybe tonight you feel like people don't actually know the real you. You feel like you've been overlooked. You feel like you've been forgotten. You feel like, yes, someone knows your name or someone knows your marital status or they know where you go to school, but they don't know the real you and it doesn't feel like they actually care to know the real you. Maybe some of you tonight are wearing a label. Listen, the scriptures never gave the label Doubting Thomas. We did. Maybe some of you tonight are wearing a label that others have ascribed to you, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, a label that your mom gave you, a label that your dad gave you, a label that a teacher or a professor gave you, a label that a boss gave you. And you've been carrying this, and no matter what you do to shake it, no matter what you do to break it, it doesn't seem like anything changes. You're just known as this particular label of failure, someone who's a screw-up, someone who's a mess-up, someone who's an addict, someone who's broken, someone who's unredeemable, someone who's messed it up and beyond the point of salvation or redemption. And you've been carrying this label. And just like Thomas, you feel like, man, they don't know me. And because they don't know you, it's caused you to doubt. It's caused you to be skeptical, not just of people, but of God and you've wondered, God, do you see me? Do you get me? Do you understand? Because listen, all of us, every single person here tonight, every single person watching online, one thing we all have in common, at least one thing we all have in common is that we all want to feel seen, heard, and understood. And when we don't, it causes us to question. It causes us to doubt. To wonder, is there a God? Does he care? Why does it seem like he cares about so-and-so? Why does it seem like he's interested in their lives? Why does it seem like this is happening for them? But when I pray, when I call out, when I look around, no one seems to see me. No one seems to know me. No one seems to care about me. And what's interesting about Thomas is that what we actually know about his life happened after the resurrection, happened after what we read in the scriptures. In fact, historians and scholars all agree that Thomas became the first person to carry the gospel east into modern day Asia. In fact, Thomas arrived to a place in a city today that's in Chennai, India, and he became the first person to take the gospel to Asia. And he there lived for 30 plus years until he was persecuted and ultimately killed for his faith in Jesus. You see, Thomas went from being unknown to being celebrated. He went from being skeptical to daring. He went from being doubtful to faithful. You see, he left culture, he left country, he left familiarity, and he left it all for something uncertain, unfamiliar, and not guaranteed. And this is Thomas's legacy. In fact, if you were to go to Chennai, India today, there is a Christian church in Thomas's name, in Thomas's recognition. And here's someone who at one point had no faith, at some point had questions about Jesus, about his ability, about his power, about his resurrection. And 2,000 years later, this is what we know about Thomas that he was seen, that he was heard, that he was understood. And tonight, there are some of you here tonight that you just need to hear. You've been wearing a label that has not been given to you by God. And God is speaking into this moment and saying, listen, there's groups of people, they may talk about you for 2,000 years and keep this label on you and call you, quote, Doubting Thomas, but that's not who you are. That's not who I've called you to be. I've given you destiny. I've given you purpose. I've given you significance. And that is going to override and impact thousands of people if you could just let go of this label and take hold of the one that I'm giving to you tonight. We got some Thomases in the crowd. But maybe you're not Peter. Maybe you're not Thomas. Maybe you're Mark. Mark, did you know that Mark wasn't even one of the 12 disciples? He he wasn't even one of the 12 disciples, but we have these, what we call four gospel accounts, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark wrote one of them. So in other words, here's a guy who knew enough about the life of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus to write about it, but he wasn't good enough, spiritual enough, talented enough, skilled enough to be a part of the in crowd, to be a part of the 12. And there are some people here tonight, there are some people watching online who feel like, you have been around church your whole life. You've been around Christians your whole life. And yes, you've tried to fit in. Yes, you've tried to shape up. But for whatever reason, for whatever kind of justification, you've not measured up. You've not been cool enough to be accepted. You've not been spiritual enough to be gifted or appointed. You've not been recognized in any capacity and you've tried your best to make it work. But for whatever reason, you're around Jesus, but it doesn't seem like, or it doesn't feel like you're actually in with Jesus or in with the people of Jesus. And, and Mark wasn't just this guy that was kind of around this. What we know about Mark or what we read about Mark is rather interesting as well. In fact, Mark writes about his own, uh, his own encounter, this own experience he had in Mark chapter 14. They're at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's with Jesus the night before, or the night that Jesus is, being, uh, is about to be arrested. And when the guards come to arrest Jesus, Mark writes about how these guards apprehended everyone in the crowd. And Mark was one of the guys. And somehow, Mark kind of like slithered out of his gown and fled out of fear, but naked. <laughs> now listen, I've run from some fights before in my life, but always with my clothes on. <laughs> always, it's about dignity. <laughs> like I'm not gonna run down the street butt naked. Here's Mark, he's running in sandals and nothing else out of fear because he didn't wanna get caught up in what was about to happen to Jesus. And then later on, we also read about Mark in Acts chapter 15, where he's been invited to join two guys, Paul and Barnabas on a missionary trip where they're taking the gospel all across Europe. And for whatever reason or for whatever kind of situation or experience or whatever happened to Mark, it doesn't, we are not told what exactly happened, but what we are told is that Mark bailed on Paul and Barnabas. That he quit on them. He left them. He ditched them. He left them high and dry. And so here's a guy who was insignificant, not good enough to fit in. Here's a guy who was too afraid to stick around and see what would happen to his friend. Here's a guy who, when he was finally invited to be a part of the in crowd, decided he had too much of it or he had enough of it and it was time to ditch it and move on to something else. And there's some people here who have been afraid. You've been afraid to go all in on this Jesus thing. You've been afraid to embrace who God is and what God wants for your life. You're worried that if you go in, something might not work out the way you want or you're worried what people might think of you or you're concerned about what your friends at school or your family members who are kind of anti-Jesus or anti-church are all about. And so you're not sure and you've been afraid. Or maybe you're in, you've given your life to Jesus, but there's still this fear that's kind of taken hold of you. This fear that's made you worry or concerned that, you know, what, well, well, I like my comfort. I like my conveniences. I like the way my life is at the moment. And I'm afraid that if I just go all in on this faith thing, that things are going to get crazy. And there's others who you've quit. You've been a quitter, not just quitting a job, but maybe you've quit a family. Maybe you've quit working on that relationship. Maybe you've quit something significant like that, but, but more than that, you've quit following Jesus. And yeah, you're, you're here tonight and you're back, but you feel like you kind of blew it. You feel like you gave up on that a long time ago. You feel like you had your opportunity and now that ship has sailed. And so you're just kind of sitting here like, yeah, I'm back. I'm here, but I don't know that God would ever accept me. Because listen, if someone quits on me, I know how I feel about them. And surely because I quit on God, because I walked away at some point, because I turned my back on him, there's no way that God would ever welcome me back in with open arms. And there's no way that God would ever want to use me. There's no way that God would ever... Kind of, you know, restore me, or that God would love me fully because he's always going to be worried about whether or not I will quit on him again. But like Peter and like Thomas, Mark's story did not end here. As I mentioned, Mark was one of the four gospel writers. But listen to this: Mark, it is believed, his gospel was the first of the four gospel accounts to be written. Translation. Here was someone who wasn't good enough to be in, but recognized somebody at some point needs to write about this Jesus guy. Someone needs to share who he was. Someone needs to tell about his miracles. Someone needs to offer the hope that he offers and write it down so that other people can know. And listen, I may not be good enough to be accepted. I may not be good enough to be welcomed in. I might not be the guy that's a part of the 12th, but if no one's going to write about it, I'm going to write about it. And it is believed today by scholars, theologians, historians, that Mark's gospel serves as the basis for the other gospel accounts. Meaning that those guys took note of what Mark did and said, well, if Mark did it, we we need to expand upon that. We need to share this. We need to write about it as well, because this Jesus thing is too good to keep to ourselves. And Mark was the linchpin. Mark was the first one to respond to that call in his life. And then Mark would move to Alexandria, Egypt, and start this movement of people called the church that became one of the most influential churches in the history of the world. In fact, Christianity is thriving on the continent of Africa today because of Mark's initiative to go to Africa and start a church. You see, Mark went from being insignificant to being significant. He went from fearful to confident. He went from being known as a quitter to someone who became influential. Mark changed the game. And God wants to use you tonight and tomorrow and in the days and months to come to change the game. He wants to take you wherever you are. Whether you're a Peter, whether you're Thomas, whether you're Mark, God has significance and purpose over your life. God has destiny that he's reserved for you and you alone. And this is why these three guys and everything they represent is why I love the church. Because the church is a group of beat up, messed up, bloodied up, battered, failed, screwed up people who come together. And together we become unstoppable. And together we become immovable. And together we become the force that Jesus envisioned. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, the moment you gave your life to Jesus, and if you're gonna give your life to Jesus tonight, when you do that and you say, Jesus, I'm in, I'm yours, Jesus responds and he says, yes, you're in, you're mine. I love you, I died for you, and I gave my life for you. You see, if someone dies for you, you don't ever have to question if they love you. And Jesus died for us so that we would know he loves us, the church. And then he resurrected from the grave to show us that his power is greater than any power of the enemy, than any power of hell, than any power of sin, than any stronghold of life. You see, our sins didn't scare him. Our struggles don't stop him. And our failures will not keep him from showing his love to us. And that is good for everyone, young or old, black or white, male or female. doesn't matter where you're from, rich or poor, Yankee or Southerner. The love of Jesus for his church is for us, for anyone, anywhere, at any time. This is the love of Jesus. You see, Jesus, Jesus gave it all so that people like you and I could have it all. This is why Perry loves the church. This is why he loves this church. This is why I love this church. This is why I love my church. This is why Jesus loves the church. On our own, we may struggle, but together we're unstoppable. So with that in mind, I wanna invite you to your feet, to stand and I wanna close this in a word of prayer. And before I do that, you can look at me, I just, I wanna put out this question to you, whether you're watching online or here in the room. Who are you? Are you Peter? Are you Thomas? Are you Mark? And whatever the answer to that question is, I want you to walk away tonight with the hope and belief that if Jesus did it for them and for those people then, then he can do it for us and these people tonight. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, Jesus, tonight, we are humbled and honored that you have called us the church, that you loved us, you gave yourself for us, And we're grateful, God, that the church, yes, we're grateful for the building. Yes, we're grateful for the sermons. Yes, we're grateful for the music. We're grateful for the ministries. But God, we are grateful for one another and the stories of redemption, the stories of hope, the stories of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances, God, of fifth chances. God, that your love is inexhaustible and it will never fail. It reaches to the darkest of places it softens the hardest of hearts. And for a moment, as we continue in a posture of prayer, I wanna invite at this time anyone who feels the need or, or, or the sense to respond and to give your life to Jesus, to believe and call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight and say, you know what? Today, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers. I just know that I need Jesus in my life. And if that's you, whether you're watching online or here in the room, I want to invite you to respond. For you in the room, I want to invite you to just kind of silently step out of your row and make your way down an aisle toward the back of the auditorium. We have people, volunteers who would love to have a conversation with you, who would love to pray with you, who would love to encourage you and help you figure out what makes sense, what, what step is necessary, what 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 you need, or how Jesus can be an answer to your prayers. Don't let fear or insecurity or doubt hold you back. If you need to respond, now is the time to do so. And I wanna invite anyone who feels like they just wanna have a conversation, someone to pray with, someone to to talk to, someone to kind of work through. Maybe the message spoke to you and you feel like you you just have some things you wanna share. If If you need to pray or talk with someone, you can also slip out of your row and head down toward the back of the auditorium. Jesus, thank you for the church. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your love. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, thank you so much. It's been such a great Sunday. Thank you for being a part of Second Chance tonight and throughout this series. Uh, You guys are free to go. Have a great night, a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday as we kick off a new series. Thank you, everyone.